You guys, you're going to hear this all the time. If you're visiting, I'll tell you, man, we go through the Bible verse by verse by verse. That's how we do it. We're in the book of Acts right now on Sundays, and that's where we're going to be until we finish the book, and then we'll pick a new book. And so if you're visiting today, I just want to encourage you guys, man, listen, I do my best to study the word and to, to bring a good, healthy meal. But really, the Bible makes it clear that we're to be Bereans. We're to be people that are chewing on the word and understanding it on our own. Man, don't trust this crazy freak. Read the word, man, like understand it, know it, and trust the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom in it. And I'm going to do my best to do the same thing and, and to talk to you guys about it. Amen? So I would encourage you, always have your Bibles, always have them open, whether that's on a, de- a device or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, you're a little less holy if you don't have a paper Bible. I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> okay. Acts chapter 6 is where we are. Verse 8 is where we're starting. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. You guys, last week, we kind of stopped uh, and took a really kind of solid look at what deacons are as best as we can understand it biblically, right? As best as we can kind of parse out what a deacon was. And we talked a lot about how blessed we are in this church, you guys, that we have so many people that step up and step into the role of what a deacon is. A deacon, by Greek definition, is a table waiter. That's all they are. They're, they're a servant, a person that serves, a person that wants to serve in whatever capacity. And so we looked at these seven in the book of Acts that were literally set aside to, to do just that, to wait tables. And what does that mean? Well, there was more to it than that. They handed out money. They handed out food. They did, they did benevolence, right, for the widows specifically. It was kind of their role. And we, don't, we see that the word diakonos, the Greek word, actually wasn't used in the book of Acts, but that was kind of the role they were filling. And then we went and we looked at what a deacon was, or a group of deacons. But we saw this in the book of Acts. We saw that there were three main things that the apostles said, hey, these things are needed for the people, and specifically in this instance, the men that needed to be chosen to do this job. Those things were that they had to be of a good reputation, right? They, didn't, they needed to be known in the community of believers and outside the community of believers as a good person, as a person that's honest and doing the things they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to have a good reputation, right? If you're a bank robber, you're probably not going to be picked for this job. Maybe in a couple years, as the Lord does some work on your life, but not at that moment, right? They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit, and they needed to be full of godly wisdom. Think about this, you guys. They were walking in to a really volatile situation. We had the Hellenistic Jews right? The the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew Jews, the Jews that were speaking Aramaic at the time. And and these two were arguing why. The Hellenists were saying, well, we're not getting enough of the distribution. We're not getting a fair share of it and everything. So they were already walking into this thing, you guys. Do you understand why it's so important that they walked in and they needed to be people that everyone already respected, right? Or that nobody would listen to them to begin with. They needed to be people that were full of the Holy Spirit and full of godly wisdom because without that, you guys, this problem wasn't going to be solved, Today, we're going to spend some time looking specifically at one of the guys, actually the first one mentioned, Stephen. He was the first one mentioned in this group of seven, and we know that Stephen and the rest of the men chosen, we looked at this, that they were all Hellenists themselves, which is an intriguing thing. All these names are Greek names. These were not, you know, this wasn't like, well, you're going to, out of the seven guys, we're going to pick four that are Hellenists. And three that are, you know, that are Hebrew because, you know, we get it. The problem's on your side. So we're going to give you a majority. Doesn't that sound like such man, man's wisdom? Isn't that how man would have dealt with that? Isn't that how Americans would have dealt with that? Right? And then we would have complained at the other side. So I love that God was here. And, that, and then these people, they prayed and they sought the Lord. And they're like, you know what we're going to do? We, the Hebrews, are going to trust that these men, full of the Holy Spirit and full of godly wisdom, can all be Hellenists. Because they're going to recognize, A, how to speak to the Hellenists and put them at ease that this is going to be taken care of. But also, we're trusting that, that our widows aren't going to be diminished in the process. It's cool to watch. We're going to see, though, through what we read today about Stephen is this, you guys, and I need us to hear this, that God has a calling for us to be servants inside the church, but it doesn't end there. Our job isn't done here. Guys, we get to serve one another. For some of you guys that are newer to the church, you haven't heard this yet, but listen, I love football, right? And uh, whenever I was in Boise, uh, Boise State won. They beat Oklahoma. They were the super big underdog. You guys might remember it because it was that important to entire, the entirety of America and not just to Boise, Idaho. <laughs> that was sarcasm. 
Thank you for those of you that laughed. You caught the sarcasm. In Boise, Idaho, is a big deal. We made it to a, the Tostitos Bowl, right? Like the Fiesta Bowl. It was a big deal. We were the underdog. Nobody cared about Boise State except people in Boise, right? Grace and I were attending Boise State at the time, so it mattered, right? We've got like five colleges under our belt. We're actually, our alma mater is Liberty, but we went to like four other colleges in the process of getting to our final degree. It took us eight years. It was ridiculous. Anyway, Boise State, they play this game. Oklahoma is like, we're going to, you are peons. You're nothing. And they go in and they beat them. They beat them, you guys. Why do I bring all that up? No reason. Just, isn't that awesome? <laughs> I'm kidding. There's a reason. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but if a team plays in a bowl game, they get a lot of money, like millions of dollars goes to the school. If you win the bowl game, you get millions more on top of that. So they built this huge thing on their stadium, like Skybox. They built uh, a state-of-the-art, I think it's, I, I can't say it is still, but at the time, I think it was like the best training facility in the entire NCAA, which is saying something, because this, this school is nothing. Guys, this was a community college in the 80s. This is not a big school, right? So to be a powerhouse is huge. They got all this money. They built this state-of-the-art thing. Here's what they did, and I'm, I bring all this up for a reason. They built a thing, that guys, that could be turned up to 80 degrees or, 80, or 90 degrees, or it could go clear down to like negative 20. That's how good the system was in here. Why? Because in the division they were in, they played Hawaii, and they also played Wyoming, and so they needed something like to train for that season, for that game. They set the training field to whatever temperature it was going to be where they were going. Kind of cool, right? Guys, I always kind of view the church like that. God puts us here on the training field. This is our training field. It's safe, guys. You're not going to get tackled. You're not going to bust a knee. You're not going to get all that. Well, maybe you will. I don't know. But hopefully not right? But you have a chance to train here. You have a chance to have people that love you. And even if they don't know you, we actually care about people here, right? We're like, we're not mean to people, I don't think. Man, if you are, go complain to Josh about that. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of complaints, Josh. And they're, it's going to be against me mostly. They'll be like, pass is mean. But I got to say this, guys, this is a training facility. This is where we practice, so if you're not serving in this church, and listen, if you just came here, this is your first week, or even if this is your first month, rest. Rest. Be served. It's good. It's healthy. Take a rest. If you've been here a while, I want to encourage you, and you're not serving, please serve. Not because we need you to serve, but because you have an opportunity to practice. Because what goes on out there is what's the most important, guys. What goes on out in the world, how you act out in the world, you get to practice here. If you talk to people about Jesus here, it's easy. It should be. It should give you practice to do it out there, right? And so does everyone understand why I brought up Boise State now? No? <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully you do. This is our training facility, you guys, and I got to say this. The Lord will turn it to whatever temperature he wants, and that's where the temperature thing comes in, right? And so if you're like, yeah, I serve, but the person I'm serving with is kind of annoying. Did you ever think God might have you on that particular field for a very particular reason? Because you need to learn to get over yourself and be patient. You ever think about that? You ever think about the fact that you might say, well, I feel like the Lord wants me to go up and, and, and work in kids ministry, but I'm not a big fan of kids. Did you ever think God might be stretching you a little bit and getting you ready because something in the future that you don't even know yet is coming your way and you need to be prepared for that now? And so here's the training facility to do that. Guys, this is an awesome place to come in. And that's what Stephen was doing. But today we're going to learn that that wasn't where it stopped. That was actually where it began. He continued on what was going on outside. So let's start reading. Verse 8. Verse 8 of chapter 6 in Acts says this, you guys. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. I'm going to stop there. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. You guys, we are told that Stephen was filled with grace, first off. Grace and power, but let's talk about this. Who here is reading out of the New King James? It says something different, doesn't it? It says faith. Faith. So... Why is, what's the deal? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I, I try my best to kind of come at these things and let you guys know. Look, we have multiple manuscripts of the book of Acts. I don't know if you knew this. This Bible that we hold, you guys, is one of the most vetted books. It, I'd say it is the most vetted book. And I think Chad would agree with me. 
that this is the most vetted book in all of history. It's the book that's been tore apart and tried to find mistakes and do all these things more than any other book. Archaeologists and, and, and people in history use this book as a manual for them. Even though they might not believe what's in here, many, many archaeologists have used this to find things. It's true. We have more manuscript evidence of this than any other book of its age, like by far. Massive amounts of manuscript evidence. And so we have these manuscripts. Well, sometimes these manuscripts have one word that's a little different or one thing that's a little different. There's not one manuscript that doesn't say, that, that talks about Jesus, that doesn't refer to Jesus as the Messiah, that doesn't talk about those things in that way. But we have little variations and shades on things, right? The Bible's infallible. What we have here and what we're reading in English, I believe personally, I hold to this, is completely what God wanted us to have. But we'd be putting our head in the sand to say that we don't have a lot of manuscript evidence and that there aren't occasional little differences. And this is one of those places. And so New King James or the King James Version had the evidence that we had available to us in the year what? Anybody that knows the King James should know this. 1611. The 1611 King James, that's when, that's when the King James was written. So the Apostle Paul did not read the King James Bible. He was long dead. But the King James Bible had what they had in 1611. The new King James took that manuscript evidence and did that. I'm reading from the ESV. We've gotten a lot more manuscript evidence since then. And it's all in agreement, but there's some small little variations. And so what we're trying to do is say, man, like, what's the one that's the oldest manuscript? That's the one that we want to go with. That's the one that seems the closest to the original. Does that make sense? And so here in the ESV, we see this word right? We see grace. And in the New King James, at that time, we had a manuscript that said faith. Can I just tell you guys, I think both of these words are kind of interchangeable. They're, they're both acceptable words, aren't they? Let's look at this. Our faith, you guys, can I just say this? What is our faith in? If your faith is in you, you have no faith. Well, you might have faith, but you have faith in a really flawed thing. I pity you. If you really put your faith in you, that's pathetic, to be honest. Isn't it? What do we have our faith in? We have our faith in a holy, just, gracious God. We put our faith, you guys, in the grace that, that God poured out through Jesus. Do you get to, and are you beginning to see how these two things are totally intertwined? So to me, there's really no big deal that there's these two different words, but flip over with me to Ephesians chapter two. Get your fingers ready, guys. We're flipping around today. I got lots of little markers. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. In Ephesians, Paul says this. Verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What, what is Paul saying here, you guys? He's saying, look, whether the word is faith here, whether uh, Stephen was full of faith or whether Stephen was full of grace, the only faith you have is in God's grace. Do you get it? Hopefully that clears it up for you guys. What else does it say he had? Flip back over me to the book of Acts. It says that he was full of grace and power. You guys, the power of the Holy Spirit was evident through Stephen's life. God used him, we read here, to do healings, miraculous healings and miraculous things. We're not told exactly what those were, right? Like, I don't know, but we definitely know if it follows suit with what the apostles were doing, he was healing people. God was using his life to bring healing into their lives. He was using his you know, his life to do these miraculous things, which is interesting because up to this point, who was doing all the healings? The apostles. To me, this speaks a little bit to this idea that God's Holy Spirit wants to work in all of us, not just in a select group, right? Stephen really wasn't special. He was just one of the chosen table waiters, right? So God wants to use you as you serve coffee here at the church. God wants to use you in a really special and sometimes maybe even miraculous way, you guys, as you stand back there and just greet people and say hello. Don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit might give you a word of knowledge to say to someone that you might not even fully understand, that you might be like, I have no idea why, but I feel like I'm supposed to say this, and you say it, 
And then sometimes it, when that's happened in my life, they start crying and you're looking at them like, I have, I'm glad that touched you. I have no idea what that meant. Which is even cooler, right? Because you're like, I <laughs> give God glory. That's awesome, right? And you just, that's the end of it. But we don't know what God's going to do. And God wants to do something through all of us, you guys, as Christians. The Holy Spirit wants to move in all of us. So I think it's cool to see that Stephen had this stuff happening in his life. And I'm guessing that if anyone here has ever been a part of anything like that, where God's given you a word and you've just been obedient to share it, or God's given you something that is for someone and you've been obedient to share it, you guys, I don't know about you. I can tell you this. For me, that's a faith builder for me. I'm like, oh God, you're so good. And the next thing it is, is it's super humbling because I'm like, why me, God? Why would you pick a freak like me to do anything? So I love that stuff. And I'm guessing Stephen was the same way, like, whoa, this is nuts. This is crazy. Look what you're doing, God. God used Stephen's life in a powerful way. And I want to examine for a moment, you guys, this correlation between God's grace and God's power. I want to look at that correlation because I believe there's this little nugget of truth, you guys, for us that we can learn and grow from. Here's the question I have for all of us. How do we walk in the power of God? How do we do that? For some people, that's kind of like an anomalous question. They're like, well, I don't know. I don't know how to walk. Do I, like, what do I have to do? Do I have to get up and read my Bible for an hour and a half every morning? Will that bring me the power of God? Right? What do I have to do? The power, you guys, is not something you can womp up in yourself. Reading for an hour and a half as opposed to 20 minutes isn't going to give you more or less power. It's only a work of God that he does in us. That's what we just read in Ephesians, right? But I can say this. The power of God is, is something that we can avoid having in our lives. That is true. You can avoid the power of God. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. We know that the fruit of the Spirit, one of the... One of the the fruits of the singular fruit, I don't know how to say it. Fruits of the Spirit, right? What's one of them? Self-control. You are in control of yourself. If someone starts ever speaking in tongues and they're like, I just can't control it, it's coming out of my mouth, that's a lie. They can control it. They can shut their mouths. Just being honest. If someone says something and it's like, the Holy Spirit just took over. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't just take over. You allow the Holy Spirit to take over. There's a difference, huge difference. Why? Because you're not going to do something inappropriate to the biblical standard. We need to watch out for that kind of stuff. So the truth is, you guys, I do believe we can avoid having the power of God in our lives. It's something you can negate in your life. How does that happen? It happens when you start walking in your own power. Makes sense, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit's like, hey, I want to do something through you. I have a word for you to give. And you're like, yeah, that's weird. And I don't know what to do with that. And so I'm going to exercise my own power and not do that, God. That's weird. Well, you just negated it. It's not going to happen. He's not going to force it out of your mouth. You won't do the thing God's called you to do. You'll miss out and you're not walking in his power. Do you see it? It's kind of common sense, isn't it? It's not rocket science, guys. New Englanders, can I just encourage you? Man, you guys are great at walking in your own power. Not everyone. And I think we're all growing in it. Now, I've also been in the Midwest and out West and in other countries and different things. And I would say there's different faults in other areas because there's some times where I've been to places where I've been to churches where people are like, ah, 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 and they're falling over and you're like, bro, calm down. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's you being a freak. Stop. So we all have stuff we're working on. So don't, don't take my cut on you as New Englanders and be like, man, I can't believe he said that. We all have work to do, guys. All of us. All of us. If you're here today and you're like, no, actually, I don't, Pastor. You're a liar. You have to work on that. We all have work to do. So hear what I'm saying with the heart that I'm saying it in, man. We should all want to grow in God's power. One of the biggest ways I see in New England that it gets negated so often is because you're like, that's weird, and I am not going to come out of my little New England square. Get out of your square. Be okay. Be okay with doing something a little weird, and watch what God does through you. And I promise you that the more you do that, the more comfortable you'll get in it. You will. Now, can I be honest with you? God's worked in me that way enough that when someone 
when God gives me some weird word, I'll say two things. Number one, he usually does it to someone that I'm trying to remember their name. And so I'm like, really, God, why? Why not the person I know their name? So I have to go and embarrass myself and humble myself and be like, you know what? I can't even remember your name. I'm so sorry. And then the next thing I say is, I feel like God told me to tell you this. And I say it. Has it always been amazing? Has it always been like, yeah, man, wow, I really needed to hear that? More often than not, yes, but I'll be really honest with you guys. There's been times when they've looked at me and they're like, I have no idea what that means. To which I get to say, okay, maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me if that's what it was. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to step out of my own power. Do you know what else has happened though? They've looked at me and they're like, I have no idea what that means. And then they come back two weeks later and they're like, I needed that. I just didn't know it. God does all sorts of stuff. Can you just trust that he's going to move? And guess what? Can you also trust that maybe sometimes you're going to screw it up and that's okay too? Repent and move on. I would rather be honest and try my best to seek the Lord and find out that I'm wrong and have to say, man, Lord, forgive me for trying to do what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do than to not do anything and be quote unquote right, even though I'm more wrong. You guys, the more we recognize that we are just messed up people that need to live in his grace, that's where his power resides. His power is in his grace, you guys. Flip over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's getting a lot of airtime today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. You guys know this passage. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, man, and he's talking about his own life, right? This learned man, Paul, the guy that had all the knowledge, man. He was a super smart guy. He knew more than all of us will ever know probably, right, about, about the Old Testament specifically. He, he was the man. He knew it. Here's what he said in verse 7 of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. He said, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God was pouring out in him, It says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my, listen to this, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You guys, there is nothing healthier in our spiritual walks than to recognize that you're a weak human being and to walk in his strength in that and to be willing to step out in your weakness and say, man, I have no idea if this is going to fall flat on its face, but man, the Lord's given me a word for you and I'm going to speak it to you. I have no idea what exactly this thing is, Lord, but I feel like you want me to do something, so I'm going to be faithful and do it. I'm telling you, you guys, you want to see the power of God, start doing that. Start walking in his strength. Start getting rid of your own way of thinking and the way you think is right, New Englanders. And recognize that God's got bigger plans, and God's plans, you guys, are usually really crazy and weird compared to the way we think. At least that's what I found in my life. I loved Idaho. I loved my house in Idaho. I had a hot tub, you guys. (laughs) I loved all things that were there. I knew the people there. It was a military town. I fit in. They got my sick sense of humor. There was nothing that I I, I felt so at home, you guys. And then God was like, hey, you're going to go to New Hampshire. And I was like, what? And I had to look it up on a map because I thought it was Vermont. Thought it was the upside down one. I love that God does things in a really crazy way because I wouldn't trade this moment for the world. I wouldn't trade it, not for anything. And yet, at the moment, guys, there was an opportunity for me to not walk in God's power because you know what? It was weird to say, guess what, guys? We're selling our house at the bottom of the market and losing a ton of money. Yeah. We lost like almost $20,000 on our house, you guys. It sucked, right? We had all these things that happened. And, and my family, my, my dad was, told me I was a horrible husband and a horrible father for what I was doing because I turned down a six-figure job out of the military. 
like all this stuff that I'm looking at. And I'm like, God, well, okay, I've got to trust you because if this isn't you, then I am the biggest, most royal screw up in, in the human race. I still am actually, but God was faithful to bring me through on this one thing. And I love that. And he's been so faithful to do that in so many areas, guys. Man, the adventure that awaits us by walking in his strength is amazing. And we miss out so often because we want to live in our little square and walk in our own knowledge and think we've got it figured out. And we don't. I mean, maybe we do. But God's like, I want to blow your paradigm and do something crazy different. Are you willing to let him? You guys, it's important. I believe we can all fall into this trap of starting to believe our own press, letting our head get a little big. Listen, when these things begin to take place, I promise you, you will see the diminishing of the power of God in your life. And I, gotta, I, I freely admit to you guys, I've gone through this in the years of my ministry already, more than once, more than once, guys, that I got a little big for my britches, but I started feeling like, God, I think I got this. Doing okay. <sighs> I wish I would just learn. Stop. Here's the cool part. When you confess and repent of these things, guys, it teaches you even more to walk in the depth of the joy of God's grace and mercy on your life. And it teaches you to humble yourself and say, man, Lord, I don't have this figured out, and I need you. I need you in every moment of every day. This morning, I was sitting back there reviewing my notes, and I was just studying through this, and I was just reminded again, it was, I, and I don't know what happened there. I'm not going to blame it on the enemy and give him more credit than he's due, but I think it was the enemy because all of those times that my head got big and I started thinking I was something and I needed our old senior pastor, Pastor Jim, to call me aside and be like, you need to calm down, man. You need to chill yourself. You need to relax. You need to do these things. Oh, those times when that's happened. Or after he's left, right? And I had the board that was like, man, I don't know if you hit, did that right or if that was exactly right. And I needed to humble myself in those moments. Those things that have happened in my life, that was the review that was going on in the office this morning. And I'm like, oh, oh, Lord, why? why? Can I just learn from these things and not do this again? Can I not be the guy that goes in guns blazing when it doesn't need to happen? Can I be the guy that is just walking in you, Holy Spirit, instead of walking in my own flesh? And God reminded me yet again, man, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Can I just encourage you guys? I don't know where you're each at today. I don't know if the Holy Spirit right now is just saying to you, yeah, that's you. You need to stop being such a New Englander and start walking in me. Maybe that's what he's saying to you. Maybe he's saying something to you like, man, I've been asking you to do this. Are you willing to do it now? I don't know where each of you are at, but I do know this. You can trust him. You can rest in him. And the other thing I will say, his power is going to show up in your life whenever you start just trusting him and humbling yourself to walk in it. I love it, you guys. I'm humbled once again. And I sit there and I sat back there today and I'm like, God, why do you bother with a freak like me? Why would you do that? I love it. I wish I was like Paul, you guys, and just content to walk in my many areas of weakness. I wish I was. I want to be up here and to be able to say with confidence, you guys, be like me. Be just like me. Be such a weak freak that God chooses to use in mighty ways. But I can't because I have to fight my own flesh every day, you guys. I wish I could stand up here and say that with confidence to you guys, but I can't because I'm like you. I'm just the same, man. I'm still fighting it. I'm still asking, God, would you humble me? Would you keep me just pure and moldable before you? God, would you, would you move in me? Would you, would you help me to stop being so prideful instead of going to the people that I don't know your names yet and asking you? I know this stuff sounds stupid, but it matters to me. This is the stuff that I fight over. This is the stuff that I fight through. I don't know what your battles are, but I know you've got them because you're human. So what I can say is this. Let's all together seek to follow God more and listen to our brains less when it comes to the way we think about things. Amen? I know this to be true. When we are weak, then through the power of Christ, we are strong. Verse 9 says this. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, 
of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So you guys, Stephen was doing way more than just dealing with the widows in the church. We saw that he was out in the community. He was out doing things in the community like we're all called to. He was out there just saying, man, like this guy, Jesus, is real. He's for real. He came. He was born in a manger. He died for you and me perfectly. He chose to. He wasn't just doing it because he, Rome caught him. He went willingly onto the cross for you and for me to be a perfect sacrifice for us. He did all of those things and he proved everything that he said by rising on the third day. That's what Jesus did. And he was out there talking about that. He was out in the community telling everybody. And it led some that weren't so excited about that information to argue with him. You guys, can I just say this? There will always be people when you start talking about Jesus that will want to debate and argue with you that you even have a creator. There will be. Why? Because this world wants nothing more than to be their own gods. Weren't you the same way I was? Right? Like, seriously. The older you get, man, you hit the teenage years and you're like, I don't really have to listen to my parents. I have a car. They tell me to be home at this time. They don't need to know where I'm at, do they? Come on, am I the only one here? I should be hearing some amens here. Come on. You guys... I wanted to be my own creator. I wanted to be the, the master of my own destiny, right? Don't we all, whenever we, and then where does that lead me? Well, where does it lead us? I'll tell you where it led me. It led me to suicidal thoughts. It led me to wanting to put a knife to my wrist because life sucked. It led me to those places. It led me to smoking a bunch of weed to try to figure out if that was fun. It led me to all sorts of places that were not good or healthy or, or, or beneficial at all. And it's when I found Christ and I submitted my life to him that everything began to change, you guys. But I can tell you this. When you're out there talking about the thing, that, that, that gift that you found in your life, there will be people that will argue with you because they believe that they're their own God. They're going to happen. It's going to happen, you guys. They're going to want to argue with you so much about the fact that you're saying, look, there's someone here, a God, your creator, that loves you so much that he sent himself to die for you so that you could have eternal life with him. To me, that's not really, I mean, that's the greatest gift ever. Like, hey man, guess what? You can be in heaven and hang out with Jesus and all the rest of us freaks for the rest of eternity. Doesn't that sound amazing? I think it does. You won't have back pain. You won't have any, your brain will work right. Right, like everything will be great. You'll never put your foot in your mouth. Oh, Jesus, thank you. They're going to be so frustrated with you sometimes. If you've done any amount of evangelism, you've seen it. They're all, almost like they're saying, like, how dare you? How dare you tell me about the good news of eternal life? And it's silly on its face. And it really is silly when you see it happening in front of you. They're now, I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm good. I'm good. Like, no, dude. But what if, what if you're wrong? Well, I'm not wrong. But what if you are? Because really, at the end of the day, none of us really knows. Really, really. Really, really, really. Like you in your own flesh can't know what happens after death. There's a level of faith that's involved in everybody's life because they have faith that they're going to take a dirt nap and that's it. That's a sad thing to put faith in, in my opinion. I would rather put faith in a holy God that loves me and sent his son to die for me. That makes a lot more sense to me. And I believe it. We see, though, that these folks that were coming against him, you guys, were in this, were belonged to, I should say, the synagogue of the freed men. We're not exactly sure what that means. Were these people that were Romans, you know, like uh, had been like, you know, maybe their, their great grandpa or their, their, their grandpa or their dad or something was a, was a gladiator. And we know that if they fought well, they, they gained their freedom. They were no longer slaves. Was it something like that? Maybe. It could have been the freedmen in that sense, that they were freed from the slavery that they were in under Rome, and now they're free people, but they were Jewish, and so whatever. Was it something that was sort of like what we would look at today as the Masons? Like, was it a, some weird secret society, sort of? We don't know. We don't know exactly. But the freedmen gives us a clue that at some point, somebody was a slave. It kind of makes sense, right? And they were freed from that slavery. Some scholars believe that this was the case, that they were a group of Roman slaves that had won their freedom 
uh, either somewhere back in history or that these people that were there were, were ones that had been freed. It was made up of a wide variety of ethnic groups. We saw four named here. The Cyrenians, which were from Cyrene. The Alexandrians, which were from where? Alexandria. Right? Those two were in, from an area that was in North Africa. And so many people believe that this synagogue actually had two synagogues. It was a multi-site <laughs> church, right? And so they had one in North Africa, the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians. And then Asia kind of, anytime you see the word Asia translated in the Bible, it usually is referring to the area around Galatia and Phrygia. So, or Phrygia, however you want to say it. But that area, guys, is basically found in modern-day Turkey. I had the opportunity when I was in the military to go to Galatia, and it was amazing, and Tarshish, and all these other places. It was awesome to see where Paul kind of stepped around in. It was pretty cool. But those areas were in modern-day Turkey. So do you see how these were two different synagogues based on who we see being named here? Now, there's something I want to say here. This is also the area that Paul came from. And this is an important point to remember for just a little bit later, because we're going to hear some things that a lot of scholars are like, well, how would Luke have known these things? Because Luke's the one that wrote Acts. Luke came on the scene way after. Well, not necessarily way after. We're going to see him show up here soon. But he came in after a lot of these things that already happened, right? And so people are like, well, how would Luke have known? Most people believe Paul was probably the way he knew. Because when Paul came to Christ, he was like, I was in this meeting. I was friends with these freedmen. I was part of this gang. I know it might have even been his synagogue. We don't know. But we do know that he was in that area, and so it's quite possible that he's the reason that we know all these pieces of information that we're going to be learning. So they were debating Stephen, and they just couldn't hold a candle to the truth. That's really what it came down to. Under the power of the Spirit, Stephen was confounding them. Why? Because the wisdom came from above, and they couldn't argue with it. You guys, this was before cancel culture. This was before people were just like, I don't need to hear it because that's not my truth. They actually were trying to aim at the real truth. <laughs> In a way, I kind of commend them. And so they recognized, like, I can't argue with this. I can't make a good logical argument to it, but I also don't want to admit that it's true, and so I'm just going to lie about you. <laughs> Sound familiar? But there wasn't cancel culture. There wasn't your truth and my truth. There was the truth. And I think genuinely, it seems, they were trying to find out what that was, but they didn't like what he was saying. So let's keep reading. Verse 11 says this. It says, And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So when the group figured out that they were not going to be able to argue themselves to a place where they wanted to be, which was, Stephen, you're wrong and we're right. When they realized that wasn't going to happen, they decided to go the route of lying. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Satan loves to come against us, and he only has so many plays in the playbook, guys. Let's go back to the football analogy. Listen, the Dallas Cowboys are a horrible team. I didn't know if you knew this, but they are. And the fact is, you guys, the fact is, is that I wish that their playbook was like Satan's and only had a few plays because everybody would just crush them. Sadly, they have more plays than just a few. But my point is, Satan only has so many playbooks. Why does he not need to add to his playbook? Because we're stupid humans that do stupid human things, and he's pretty good at what he does, and he doesn't need to make more plays in his playbook because it doesn't take much for him to, to confuse us and get us going the wrong direction. One of the things he does, you guys, is lie. Satan lies. He's the father of lies. If you don't believe me, uh, Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verse 44, the Gospel of John. Notice, you guys... I want you to notice, they didn't actually even want to do their own dirty work. They instigated other men. They're like, um, hey, listen, we got a little extra cash in our pocket. You want to go lie for us? You know, it could probably mean your life if you're caught. <laughs> Stupid. Cowardly. Just like Satan. So they say that Stephen was speaking blasphemy against Moses and God. And listen, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I find it amusing that that's the order they gave. Don't you? Moses and God is who they were speaking blasphemy against. 
Can you commit blasphemy against another human? Just wondering. I mean, listen, if someone here was like, dude, George Washington was a loser. What a freak of nature. Like, why would anyone even try in any way, shape, or form to celebrate that guy's birthday? What a dummy. I can't believe. Listen, if you felt that way, I would never say, man, that's blasphemous. I can't believe you're committing blasphemy right now. God's going to strike you dead. I might look at you and think you're a freak and think you're wrong. I would think you're wrong. Not to say he was perfect. He wasn't God. He was a man. But he was, seems like he was a good man. He definitely did some good things, right? We wouldn't argue with that. But it's not blasphemy. Does that make sense? You can't blaspheme Moses himself, the man. I don't think Moses would be up there being like, I can't believe they're talking bad about me right now. I don't think he's worried about it. You guys, do you see how even the way they argue, their reason, it's, it's twisted. They put way more weight on Moses even than God, or they put the same weight of Moses on God. Like, it's not the same, dude. The law is not God. The law was God-given. Moses was a servant of God, not God himself. They're not the same thing. What else happened here, though? As they raised up all these people, as they, as they went and they made a big ruckus about these things, you guys, social opinion changed. Remember, what did we read just earlier? That everybody looked at the church and some were afraid to come to it because they're like, I don't know, man. I mean, I heard about those two that died just because they were hypocrites. I'm, I'm pretty hypocritical. Maybe I need to chill. Some people were like that, but it said that people came to the Lord in droves and this church was over 10,000 people at this point. It was a big church. So we see that God was doing this amazing thing, but here what, what we see is social opinion was swayed. Do you guys see that nothing is new under the sun? Social opinion changes daily. Daily. You guys, if you don't believe me, can we just say this? Look at how much just even here in New England, severe anti-Semitic rhetoric is cropping up in the last two months. On Harvard, MIT, all these places, stuff that just, I would say six months ago, they would have been like, what are you doing? How dare you talk about the Jewish people that way? Now it's being celebrated. But that's just one example. There's so many areas of our lives, you guys, that we see social opinion change back and forth and back and forth. And I think if the Lord tarries, you guys, we're going to see a reckoning in the next generation or two against all the stuff that's happening now. But the fact is, you guys, what was once roundly condemned or celebrated is now being roundly condemned or celebrated, depending on what we're talking about, right? Does that make sense? So we see that this group was able to sway popular social opinion against Stephen. And we see, we see also that here we go with another guy being drugged before the council. They drug in false witnesses. What does that sound like? Do we all remember what happened to Jesus? They had false witnesses that came in and said, sometimes half-truths. We see that there again with the whole idea, I'm going to tear this down, and in three days, I'm going to build it up again. So this is, Jesus did say that. We're going to read it. But he wasn't talking about the temple, and they were just too dumb to realize that. Or they used it to, conveniently to their end to try to talk about it in a, in a way, right? Flip over with me, actually, while we're doing that, to John chapter 2, the, book, the gospel of John chapter 2. Because we see here again that, you know, listen, I don't, we don't know what's, we're not told what Stephen was telling them. We're not told, but I don't think it's incomprehensible that Stephen would have said, yes, this is what we were told by the apostles that Jesus said, that he said, look, you tear down this building and in three days, I'll build it up again, talking about his body. And I'm sure he made that abundantly clear because the apostles got that by this point. And so he very well could have used this. I'm not saying he did or he didn't. I'm saying he could have. And so it seems like here again, they don't get it. They don't understand Flip over there with me to John chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You guys, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Stephen had been taught this and that he said the same thing to other people to try to explain it to him. And we see that here they are misrepresenting it and using it against him. They didn't understand, you guys. 
Jesus also, if you remember, flip over with me to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus also talked a lot about the law of Moses. Do you remember that? What was one of their accusations? Man, Stephen won't stop speaking against wanting to change the way Moses thought about things and against the law. And yet we know that can't be true. It wasn't true. Why? What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17? He said this, you guys. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Listen to this. Until heaven and earth pass away. The law, as we know it, the Jewish law, you guys, we don't follow all the things. We know we're under a new covenant. But Jesus fulfilled all of that, all of it. And it will remain fulfilled, all of it, until the end of it when he brings in a new heaven and a new earth. And there won't be a need for it. Verse 19 says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, what was he talking about, the Ten Commandments, will be called least in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's like, man, if you're looking at the law to get you there, you're wrong. However, I'm not here to break the law or to change the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. That's what he's saying. And so we see here, you guys, that, man, these accusations that they were pouring out against Stephen was because they lacked understanding. They were the stupid ones. Do you get it? And if they weren't stupid, they were blatantly lying. So I'm actually trying to give them the benefit of the doubt in saying they're stupid. Because the reality is, you guys, is that what Stephen was saying was, there's a better way. You're under his grace, you guys. You can't fill this law anyway, so walk in his grace. And the law has been fulfilled in him. Verse 15, let's finish up. It says, in gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So as all these things were happening, as these false accusations and blatant lies were being spoken of about Stephen, he was so angry and ready to defend himself that he was red with fury. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> just want to make sure you guys are all not sleeping. No, not at all. This is not what it says. It says his face was like a face of an angel. Now, we read that that was happening. and What the heck does that mean? Isn't that kind of what you think? Like, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what I think it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he was looking off wonderingly like a little cherub in a painting. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't think that's what it meant. That'd be weird. I also don't think it meant that he stood there with a face of wrath and judgment. I don't think it meant either of those things. And I think contextually, you guys, as we continue on in this chapter next week, you're going to see that I really believe that this has nothing to do with what was happening here. What I think was happening was this, is that he was filled with supernatural peace and rest in a moment that should have been anything but. His life was on the line, literally. And yet he was there and he was just at peace. He was resting. It didn't make any human sense, and that's where Stephen was. And many people believe, many scholars believe, that it might have even been something like what Moses had happening. Right? Exodus 34, 29. We just got done with the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights where Moses' face would shine when he was in the presence of God. It could have been that. We don't know. I'm not trying to add more to it than there was. I'm just throwing out what we hear. Some people think maybe, and it's possible. It's possible. Maybe his face was glowing. To me, if some guy's face is glowing, though, just being real, and I'm on the council, I'm going to be like, wait, stop the presses. Something's different here. What's going on? Do you know about highlighters way before they were invented? What's going on? Right? Like, I'm going to want to know what's up. So I don't know if that's 100% true, but it's just a thought. You guys, uh, be Bereans, come to your own idea of what might have been going on here. But what we do know is, is that his face was like the face of an angel. You guys, can I just tell you that this is the truth for all of us. Regardless of where we find ourselves, we are safe. We have nothing to fear. And whether or not God chose, chooses to make your face like a glow stick, can I just tell you, if you're walking in peace and rest, you are going to stand out in the crowd. You will. You will stand out in the crowd if you walk in his peace and his rest because it is not what the world sees or walks in every day. And sadly, church, it's not what we choose to walk in a lot of times either, is it? 
So today I want to challenge all of us guys as we prepare for communion to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, to ask him to give us a better and clearer understanding of God's grace on our life, you guys, because as we walk in his grace, man, we're going to walk in his power. You guys, I want to ask the Holy Spirit as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you guys to ask the Holy Spirit these things. Pray to the Holy Spirit that you're going to find his peace and rest to trust him even when things are difficult. To rest in him even when you're walking in his grace and power and it brings attack from the enemy. To trust him, to rest in him and to wait upon him because guys, our deliverer is coming. He's coming back, you guys. Isaiah 40, 31 is what I want to leave us with. But to those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint, you guys. Keep that in your heart. Let's pray. Man, Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray, Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, as we get ready to just partake with you, Lord. God, that if there are those here that don't know you yet, God, that they would come to accept, Jesus, that you've already done all the work on the cross. And all they have to do is accept it and repent of their stupid, sinful ways, God, just like the rest of us have. Lord, I pray for all of us that know you, that are walking with you, God, that today we would come. Holy Spirit, that you would uh, scrub out those areas of our lives that maybe we just need to come to you and repent of. God, that as we prepare to receive your body into our lives, Lord, as we prepare to receive your blood into us, God, uh, you know, Lord, just doing those things, Father, as, a, as a, a token, Father, a thing that we get to commune with you in, Lord God, through a symbol. Oh, God, would you be with us? Father, would you minister to us in this moment, God? Would you prepare us, Father, for the conversations that await us in this Christmas season? Do what only you can do, Lord. We are asking you, Father, pour out your grace, your power on our lives. Father, teach us what it is to walk in your rest. Help us, Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.